guys and welcome back to Cold Coffee No Glue Sticks. It is episode nine and I've got a real treat for you today. It is the all singing, all dancing principal of Thomas More College in SA. It's Mr. Corey Tavella. Corey was a pleasure to talk to. We go through surprise cake, looking after your students even after they've left school and also how to get staff well-being 100% right i can't wait for you to hear this and tell me what you think by leaving us a bit of a review and of course following us over on instagram at cold coffee no glue sticks pod uh anyway i'll stop there it's a long one but it's a real good one. i really hope you enjoy it I wondered if we could start, Corey, with a bit of an overview of your of your teaching career, of your journey, and how yeah. you got to where you are now. Um, well, I've uh, this is my twenty first year in education. Um, so wow. I started teaching in uh, two thousand and one um, as a fresh, um, you know, twenty one, twenty two year old, um, and I started teaching in a school not too far from here at Andrews Farm called uh, Saint Columba College, and was there for. Um, seven years, um, and it was a, a new school when I went there. It had been open for about four years, and it initially mm. was um, a uh, an R or a K to seven school. It was a primary school, and then um, when I got there, it was the first year of year nine, so I was able to see um, the students go through all the way to the first cohort of year 12s. Um, oh, wow. And so that was pretty cool to be um, part of a growing school. And I think um, being part of a growing school and a new school, which um, at that stage was about uh, 40 minutes from the CBD, um, you know, travel times have improved now. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, it it meant there was lots of opportunities for a new teacher. So um, I I only thought about this recently, but I've actually only ever taught full time for a year. Um, because pretty much, oh. yeah, pr- pretty much from my second year of teaching, I've had some sort of leadership role. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. So I probably I moved through um, different roles of student leadership, um, had a house leadership role for a year, which was um, was in charge of eight house groups. And my, my remit was to create culture and turn eight house groups with colours into patrons, symbols, mottos, all those sort of things. Oh my goodness! Um, yeah, so that was that was seven years there, and then um, took a uh, a role a bit closer to home. Was looking to diversify and move to a school called Sacred Heart College in um, Mitchell Park, which was a little bit closer to home. I went from driving uh, an hour or so every day to driving seven minutes. Um, oh, fantastic! <laughs> yeah, that was so, the life. <laughs> um, and I, I moved there to um, actually it was it was a uh, Sacred Heart used to have two campuses and it was a, an all boys middle school campus. Um, so I took the role there as a head of admin, sort of doing relief teaching and or heading up relief teaching and um, still teaching my chosen subjects of English, um, history, um, geography, all those sort of subjects and religious education. Um, And then I was there for a year and I had a principal who saw a bit of promise in me and suggested that I maybe should be looking at some other leadership opportunities. So I managed to go from being the head of admin at an all-boys middle school to the director of year 11 and 12 at an all-girls senior school. Um, And (laughs) I'm not quite sure how that happened, to be honest, but... (laughs) Um, yeah, it was, um, in some ways it was like chalk and cheese, but I loved it. It was really yeah. good. 
Yeah. Okay. So it sounds like a, a good move then. Oh, no, it was great. And it just, it was, I mean, from a South Australian context, it was also the um, the year that we, I mean, we have the South Australian Certificate of Education here, um, just like New South Wales would have the HSC, we have the SACE. And um, that year happened to be the first year that they rolled out uh, what was called the new SACE, which was, you know, a, a move to um, things like performance standards, um, assessment design criteria that made um, explicit um teaching and learning goals um, and also helped with things like moderation of making really clear what an A, B, C, D and E look like. Yeah. Um, so my role there was to um, bring in the new SACE and see out the old SACE, um, but it was an acting role. So after that role finished, I went back to Sacred Heart and was fortunate enough to win a role of deputy principal there. Um, yeah, so that, that was a great experience yeah. actually and I was there for um, – Wow, I was there for three and a half years and then um, was fortunate enough to apply for and win a role of Deputy Principal Teaching and Learning at a very, um, actually the oldest girls' school in South Australia, um, St Mary's wow. College. Yeah, and yeah. It, was, it was actually the school that, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Mary McKillop, Australia's first saint. Yes, um, I am, yeah. Yeah, it was actually the, the school in which the chapel um, is located where Mary McKillop was um, excommunicated from the Catholic Church. No uh, way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so fascinating um, sense of history. And to go from uh, a school with a really strong sporting tradition like uh, Sacred Heart to a school with really strong sense of um, religious dimensions and um, empowerment for young women um, was, um, yeah, it was a really important role. And Probably the unfortunate thing that happened as I became a deputy principal at, um, well, initially at my first school, then at my second school, was that my teaching um, pretty much diminished to one subject. Um, right. So for the last, or for certainly for the six years I was deputy at uh, St Mary's, I was teaching Year 12 religious education, um, but taught it very much through a social justice focus and then linked it to our um, our traditions in um in Catholicism, so it was, it was, mm. uh, um, and I, I used to say to my students that look, this is, you know, in some ways the cards are stacked against us because it's a subject that you have to do in year twelve. Um, yeah. Probably not one that you would have chosen. Um, you know, you got the deputy principal teaching you, um, and it's a subject called religious education, which you may not like. But I guarantee you, when you walk out of here at the end of the semester, you're actually going to like the subject, and I reckon you're going to love it. Um, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, and it was passion. Uh, which was great. Um, That's what you need, isn't it? I think passion behind the subject is one thing, but also having that social context yeah. as well for it to make sense in a modern world. Um, it's it's something that I think in this day and age you you can't teach or learn religious education without those two things. No, absolutely. And um, I was reflecting just this week actually when I heard about um, – we're talking about the seventh anniversary of um, flight MH. I think it was seventeen or seventy-one. The um, the the one that was um, uh, shot the down. Malaysia Airways. No, the what other one. It? The other one. The one that was. Oh, uh, the other one. Yeah, that was shot down by the um, uh, the Russians in Ukraine. Um, ah. And I was thinking of that, and I was also thinking about the Malaysian Airlines one, and I was remembering that. These are issues that I had discussed with my um, religious education class back then, um, mm. and I think that's been a, um, a a real feature of what I've tried to do in the classroom, and also as a leader now um, in bringing in what's contemporary and what's relevant, and um, 
connecting it back to um, teaching and pedagogy. Um, yeah. And so that uh, has led me to my journey here, which um, I'm a principal of a school called Thomas More College in South Australia um, mm-hmm. and in the northern suburbs. And uh, I came here as uh, an acting deputy principal, um, probably to diversify some experience. Um, I was familiar with the previous principal. I'd worked with him before. Um, I took three weeks. This was the start of 2019. Um, I took three weeks at the uh, first uh, the first three weeks of term two to travel to America to a school called High Tech High in San Diego. Um, oh yeah, I know High Tech High. Yeah. They made um, they made a video, didn't they? They've, the doc- uh, most likely, the guys, speak, uh, yeah. Yes, there's yeah. a book about it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing so, school. Yeah, and it, it's. I was doing some master study at the time around, um, uh, for lack of a better term, micro credentialing um, uh, capabilities, and understanding that moving away from, um, uh, or still embracing a grades based system, but really focusing on, um, you know, what we might call 21st century learning skills, even though we're in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. But the, the documentary actually calls them soft skills. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so just looking at that school, and then I had the opportunity while I was over there, um, the principal who was here at Thomas More um, was seconded by the Catholic Education Office to work in there for a year. So I um, stepped off a plane um, after being on a plane for 23 hours from San Diego, Ooh. Los Angeles, Um Adelaide uh, at 11 a.m. on Sunday morning and walked in as the acting principal at Thomas More on Monday morning. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Nothing like a swift transition then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was pretty nuts. And then um, he ended up winning a role at a different school, so I um, applied for and won the principal's role, and here I am 21 years later. Amazing. What a journey. And mm. it sounds like you've had some really amazing moments there, both with different schools, different teams, but also those opportunities that you've had as well. Yeah, no, I've, um, I did a presentation to um, uh, the Catholic Care Deputies and Senior Leaders Association this year and just tracked my journey and um, yeah. worked through that, you know, co-ed uh, R or K to 12, 6 to 9, Seven to twelve, eight to twelve. I've worked with um, all girls, all boys, um, and everything in between. So it's um, it's been a really unique journey, and um, yeah, I'm, I think I'm probably halfway through it, which is pretty cool. <laughs> that is pretty cool. Lots and lots to go. Um, yeah. Have you got a favourite year group to teach so far? Oh, look, early in my career, it would have been the year sevens. I started working with year sevens, and um, yeah, I, I just I loved the innocence of working with them but also the enthusiasm um i I have a um when i was teaching full-time and actually i do it with my staff a bit as well um it was almost the sense of overpower or encourage them with excitement so i would um walk in with lots of energy and you know we're doing this today guys and all this sort of stuff and and (laughs) um and that was sort of that mantra that i talked about before that you're actually going to like this subject and you're going to love it and if you don't i need you to talk to me about it and i'll find a way to make you love it brilliant um, yeah so that's so year seven certainly then I was when I was a year nine leader I loved working with year nines um but probably as I've got older um I've really enjoyed working with year 12s um yeah there's something special yeah. about um seeing that um the culmination of that senior journey um mm. and, and I, I always say to year 12s once I've been with them and I say that you know the principal's graduation speech that it's actually a real privilege to to be a part of their journey and to know that 
I will be known to them over the next X amount of years. Um, so, yeah, it's certainly yeah. 12s now, but uh, they're, they're all awesome at our school. Oh, that's so lovely. Have you kept in touch with um, with many of your graduating students? Well, it's it's a bit um, challenging given that I've moved um, five schools. Yeah. And if I think about geographically, I've worked – so I'm north now and I started north. Um, I've worked west-southwest. I've worked – and I'm talking about suburban areas of Adelaide. Um, I've worked east and northeastern suburbs. So um, I sort of – when I go somewhere, I sort of um, – Often we'll see someone that I've taught or I've um, taught yeah. with. Um, ironically enough, um, after having taught in the northern suburbs for seven years and then moving sort of south and then west and then east, when I came back um, to because uh, where I am now is about 15 minutes away from my first school and um, the, the word sort of got around that I was, I was back in the northern suburbs. Um, so I had um, – Lots of students that I'd, you know, known from year seven, eight, nine, and even ones that I taught in year 11, um, make contact and just come in for a coffee and some of whom have, um, you know, gone on to be teachers now. So I had a look at my... Um, oh, wow. Yeah, like my little year sevens that I first taught in my first year who are now, you know, late 20s, early 30s. And it's um, it's quite bizarre mm. to have that conversation with them. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I find that there, being a teacher myself, there's no bigger compliment than having a uh, an ex-student that has almost followed in your footsteps and become yeah. a teacher because they were influenced by you. I know the reason that I'm a teacher is because, first of all, my, my mum's a teacher. I grew up in a family of teachers, but also, oh, wow. yeah, I had um, a fantastic year five teacher called Mrs. Armitage, um, <laughs> and I've never been able to get back in touch with her, which is really sad. But uh, also my year eight English teacher, Mrs. Smith, was so inspiring. So yeah. I think between them, um, it was almost inevitable that I was going to go into teaching. That's, um, that's, I think it's fascinating when you look at um, different reasons as to why people move into the role uh, or the profession. Yeah. Like I, um, it, it, I think it's really good to hear that you had some excellent positive experiences and they stay with you. Mm-hmm. I had a couple of really... Um, eye-opening experiences as a student and specifically in seven and nine where I had a very traditional rigorous but fun teacher in year seven and then I I went to a um, fairly traditional all boys um, Catholic school in South Australia and Mm. um, was rocked in a initially in a challenging way but then a positive way by um, a really strong uh, feminist um, uh, feminine role model uh, sorry feminist role model in year nine and being um, teaching in an all-boys school, I found that incredibly uh, – well, the fact that she was teaching in an all-boys school, I found that incredibly courageous. So at the time, she challenged me, but I look back now and she's probably one of the biggest influences as to why I got into teaching. Wow, that's mm. really amazing to hear. Yeah. So going to an all-boys school yourself and then teaching in a bo- in an all-boys school after that at Sacred Heart, yep. was it a huge shock for you to go into St Mary's and teach in an all-girls position? Um, I, I wouldn't say it was a shock because, um, you know, the, the idea of um, traditional, um, you know, male and female learners some of that stuff's a bit a bit outdated so you, you know you, mm. there's a whole bunch of books you can read and there's a whole bunch of theories that you look at it's good to take that into account because some of those things are um you know you, you can see typical examples but it's almost like the the old idea of learning styles that if you prejudge a student by their you know their gender their um the way they work um their learning style you almost miss the chance to get to know them 
um, sure. and then get to f- help them form learning relationships. So, um, yeah, look, it, it, I, I wouldn't say it was um, I wouldn't say it was that hard. Um, I think the challenge is more working because at Sacred Heart it was a specific boys' middle school, and one of the things that I found um, challenging there was that. You couldn't actually see the beginning and you couldn't see the end. So you were really working with those students literally in the middle, which was really rewarding because you saw them yeah. work through the seven, eight or six, seven, eight, nine. But then you, you missed out on that, you know, that, that real final bit and that real end of the journey. Um, mm. So I, I don't think it was that massively challenging, but just the, the breadth of the school and then, you know, my role was um, R or, or K to 12 as a deputy principal for teaching and learning. So I would have um, conversations with um, year 12 students and, and families about, you know, some serious year 12 issues. And then I'd have a conversation with a year four parent about a, a, an equally serious um, year four issue. And that that was probably the most challenging, but also the most rewarding in the sense of mm. that, that whole breadth of learning um, and that yeah. understanding that, you know, even though I might look back and say, well, that year four issue actually wasn't very big at all, to them it was important and it was To big. them it was, exactly, yeah. 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 Interesting. Mm. Now, um, part of the, the Thomas More College motto is a thriving community. So yeah. how, as, how do you as a leader of that school ensure community, not just with the students but also among the staff? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you picked that up because that's actually our theme for this year, a thriving community. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and we've uh, one of the things I've done over the last few years is that um, I, I've sort of introduced a theme to the school that um, mm. help, and so it's one of the things that I, um, you know, sort of have a chat to my executive team at the end of the previous year and say, look, let's talk about the year that we've had. Let's talk about, you know, if there's one thing that we really want our school to focus on, what is it? How can we name it? And we, we talked about um, this idea of... Um, after the year that we had in 220, a lot of schools and a lot of, um, you know, well, a lot of people in community were talking about, oh, we, we survived, we got through. Um, yeah. And then talking about this idea that, okay, we survived, now let's strive to do the next thing. And we want the absolute best for our students and staff so that we brainstormed a theme of, well, what's the one word that we can talk about that um, encompasses that, that I can use as a principal to talk to staff, students, parents, everyone, that, you know, that the year seven teacher can use with his or her students, that the year 11 teacher can use with his or her students. And we talked about this idea of thriving. Um, and so then we said, well, what does thriving mean? So then we, we showed a, um, a clip at the start of the year from, you know, the, the movie Wonder. Um, with um, yes. which is based on the book and we showed that beautiful slow motion scene where Augie is just running um, and I think it's halfway through the movie and he's just in absolute bliss and he takes his helmet off um, and we said in his context this is thriving um, and so for us we, we have a, um, um, a, a special needs unit in our school as well and it means that we understand, I, I think we understand diversity and not just understand but embrace diversity really well. So we talk about this breadth and depth of thriving, that thriving for one student might be just getting to school, thriving for another student might be getting the 99 ATAR, thriving for another student might be getting through uh, and getting an apprenticeship. So that real breadth and depth mm-hmm. stuff's important. So um, so I suppose coming back to your question, I've been really um, keen to have different examples for our students to connect to and then different examples um, that our staff can connect to through that. 
Um, having said that as well, just this week we're in the middle of um, um, Are You OK Day, but we've we've you know labelled it as Are You OK Week, and we've put a real focus this week on staff wellbeing. So um, if you're at my school this week, we had um, a masseuse come in yesterday and offer uh, massages to our staff. We um, Wow. Had, yeah. We had a coffee <laughs> van um, out there this morning where we um, had um, uh, we, uh, we put, principal put on coffee for all of our staff. Um, we had uh, staff and students in casual clothes today. And there's, there's something about um, just being able to wear jeans to work that is really important. Yeah. Um, and tomorrow we've got a beautiful staff retreat in 26 degree weather where we're going for a, a hike and doing yoga and that sort of stuff. So, oh my God, yeah. hands up who wants to work at Thomas More? <laughs> I got to say though, in the same week that we've done that, so there's lots of support there. And this is a mantra that I have um, in terms of high support, high challenge. Um, mm-hmm. A high responsibility um, equals personal best. And so the same week that we've done that, I led a staff meeting on um, Monday night where, and I said to people, look, there's going to be some prickly conversations here. And I know some of this might make some of you feel uncomfortable, but this is not, um, the, the, the point of, the, the main point of this is to really open up discussion about where things might go now and where things got, might go for next year. And we, I led a conversation about, um, work completion and about um, setting high standards for students. And um, I don't know if you're familiar very much with restorative justice and restorative practices. A little. Perhaps you can give me a bit of a refresher. So we we talked with the idea that, you know, in a restorative sense, and it's that, you know, you think about um, from a, a, uh, if you looked up social discipline window, you'd get a visual example but um, essentially we talk about with high support and through high challenge. So, you know, you support students and you challenge students and staff where appropriate and you get that perfect idea of working with. So oh, um, I see what you mean, yeah. Yeah, and so there's, there's, a, there's a quadrant or four quadrants there that, you know, they talk about um, permissive, talk about being neglectful or talk about being authoritarian. And so an example of that is that if you are in um, high support but low challenge mode, um, you're actually being quite permissive. You know, you're you're really supporting the students, but you're giving them five or six weeks to do an assignment. And we said, mm. look, it's great to support students, but the challenge is not there. So similarly, if you are giving lots of challenge to students, but not supporting them, you're actually being authoritarian. You're telling them what to do. And that doesn't work with young people. So no. what I challenged our staff with is that The only way to move forward here, if we're serious about, you know, challenging and supporting our students to be thriving, to be the personal best they can be, is to work with them. And here's working, here's what working with looks like from a a work completion, work expectation process. Um, So I suppose what I'm saying is that we, you know, it's that whole mantra of I've supported my staff a lot this week, but I've also challenged them. And that's a constant conversation we have with them about how we can help them to be thriving um, staff members as well. Amazing. Mm. Now, staff wellbeing is something that comes up quite a lot, especially in teacher Facebook groups, um, just on general social media. Mm -hmm. So as a leader, just kind of going back to uh, your staff wellbeing this week, how do you stop that just being a lip service to Are You OK Day or staff wellbeing? How do you keep that going as a constant reminder that um, you value your educators and you value their time, their comfort in their position. Yeah. Katie, I reckon it's multifaceted. Um, part of it comes from um, what's the core of my leadership in terms of I, I value being a present leader 
And so that mm. means that, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing lots of, and it sounds really simple, but just tonight, I, you know, I stood it out. We're, we're a school of a thousand students, so we're quite a large school and 130 staff, give or take. Um, yeah. And so I can't, I can't be present to all of them all the time, but when I can be present, uh, I am present. And so what I mean by that is that I will, you know, look at, I'll sit down with my PA and strategically make times to, you know, like uh, being the staff on the gate, talking, saying, saying goodbye to every student. Um, I, um, I spent some time at our um, one of our partner schools today where our students were performing a concert there, so I was present with them today. Um, walked around and um, spent five minutes cooking a barbecue um, had a um, positive performance conversation with one of my leaders um, who's a sixth-year teacher and an aspiring leader. So he's someone I'm really trying to push and challenge to be that next level. Um, mm-hmm. So I suppose what I'm saying is I, I hold the value of presence dearly and so me being present as a leader to my community is how I think I can start to work in wellbeing with the staff Okay, I am eventually going to get round to some of these questions that I've sent over to you. Um, but before we do that, this is a really interesting conversation. And I just yeah. wanted to touch on your connected learning model that yes. you've implemented in the college as well. Can you tell me a bit about that? Sure. So um, one of the beautiful things about our school is that we have, I think at the last count, about 61 different cultures in our school. Um, so wow. we're very multicultural. Um, the uh, Salisbury Downs where we are was uh, a very uh, heavily migrant migrant settled area, and so there's a lot of there's a strong European culture out here, but there's also a strong uh, Vietnamese and emerging Greater Asian culture. Um, mm. So we've always had we've always been quite multicultural, but over the last five or so years, um, that's increased to a lot of the African nations um, and a lot of the Afghani students as well, which has just been beautifully powerful especially during this time given what's happening in Afghanistan absolutely so when so I suppose what I'm saying is we've always known the importance of being connected to our community um, one of the things I struggled with last year when you know conversations around um, remote learning or online learning was that that was a, those two terms were quite static terms um, in the sense that um, you know we're away from people so online is something that is done away from you know it, it connects people but it sort of disconnects people because you're not face to face all that sort of stuff yeah, yeah. and um, and remote learning I, to me that's the most opposite of what the purpose of being connected should be. So we have, and you may have seen um, on our website, we've done some work over the last few years on our student value. So what we, um, strong words and phrases that we use to describe the type of students that we aim to foster here and some work on our learner behaviours, which is um, the type of learner that we aim to work through and work with. Now, when we looked at those, and I I distinctly remember sitting in this meeting last year thinking, right, we've got to get this model right because we've been told we're going into lockdown any day, blah, blah, blah. I said, what are we going to call it? We said, oh, it worked around. The one word, the one verb that sits in common with both those um, student values and learner behaviours is the word connected. Um, So we talk Mm. about our students, we aim to, you know, be connected, and then our learners are connected learners. And so all those, you know, those words have different connotations um, for learning and well-being so then we said well, great let's work on this connected learning model 
So then we talked about, well, what, what do you reckon connection actually means? If a student is not here in front of us, what does connection mean? So, you know, we, we talked about um, being connected to your learning, being connected from a, a well-being point of view, being connected from a spiritual point of view. You know, we're, we're a Catholic school, so that, that, that sense of a Catholic ethos nourishing the development of spirituality is important. So just that the mm -hmm. whole gamut of what connection meant. And so uh, I, I, would, I would often say to our families that during this time, we're not into remote learning. We're not into online learning. We are remaining connected with you and finding different ways to connect with you. Um, so that meant that, you know, we would have um, people doing wellbeing check-ins. Um, we would have year-level leaders just ringing families. We even had some of our finance people when we were in lockdown ringing our families saying, look, how are you going? What's going on? Do you need some relief with school fees? So just that whole gamut of connected learning and connection yeah. was our focus. That is fantastic. And I know yeah. that um, a couple of the teachers that I've spoken to already on this podcast from Fairvale School in Sydney um, are huge on wellbeing. And I know that they've seen a, a big uptick in uh, those wellbeing check-ins between yeah. their staff and students as well. So it's really, really good to see. And it's definitely something that benefits both sides, benefits the students and benefits the staff as well, yeah. I think. Mm. Yeah. Lovely. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate you going into that for me. Very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, now, I guess, and I know you've probably had a very exciting week with everything that we've talked about, <laughs> but have you got a particular gold star moment, a moment that's really made you smile? Yeah, I, I think it's um, some of the simple things and it just remind me of the the impact you can have on students. So we've got a um, our one of our um, student captains. Um, is just a beautiful young man. He's uh, um, he's going to be a chef next year. He um, he runs his own business at the moment um, with his father. Um, and he, I remember when I um, last year when I called him in my office and told him that he'd. Um, been successful in winning the school captain's role he was in tears like it was beautiful Aww. and so i've often i've connected with him a fair bit because he is a um beautifully passionate contemporary young man and uh I, i'm a father of three boys so i i find i, I think i've and having worked in an all boys and an all girls school i feel like i have a really strong focus on um gender equity um justice in that space so i am really um as a leader, really intent on um, leading good young men and leading good young women um, and everything yeah. else in between. So this week I caught up with him and he said, oh, Mr. Vell, I've got my first um, catering gig for a while this week and I'm making this cake, blah, blah. You know, Matt, that's fantastic. Let me know how it goes. And if you, you know, if you want to, I, I would love to um, have a taste of your cake. Now, I reckon that, that, <laughs> that conversation maybe was oh, – it actually, was. I reckon it was two weeks ago – um, I've spent a bit of time out of the school this week, so I haven't been able to walk around and have a chat to students very much. But when I got back here on Wednesday morning, there's a cake sitting on my office desk. <gasps> Dear Mr. Tavella, oh. hope you like it. Thanks, Matt. And I just thought that was fantastic. Oh, my God, that's so cute. I'm going to cry. That's yeah. lovely. Um, do you know his catering company's name? Do you want to give him a shout-out? Uh, what I, I've, Off the top of my head, I can't – I don't know. But what I can say is he's – the business that he runs with his father is called Cuppa Gino's. And um, so Gino's his father, and uh, they they do mobile catering and mobile coffee and that sort of stuff. And um, we've actually had – I mentioned before the coffee um, van. They, they were here today with us, and they're here tomorrow with our staff retreat. Um, the, the principal's wow. shouting coffee tomorrow morning for staff as well. Um, 
But yeah, and, and but Matt is Matt will come tomorrow, and he will serve with his father, which I think is just um, beautiful. And incredible. It's, it's interesting that the meeting I came back from um, was a three-hour meeting, and it was a a pretty intense meeting, and probably one of those not pleasant meetings outside of the school. Um, mm. and it was fine; it's part of my role. So I, you know, came back and I you know, was feeling not great about things. Walked in, and that's sitting at my desk, and I've gone, "Wow, this is just just beautiful." So that was absolutely my gold star moment of the week. Oh, I love that. And the cappuccinos. There you yeah, go. Yeah. If you're in SA, give them a call. Get to Katie, your next event. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, okay. So we've kind of talked about the importance of um, a supportive staff and community within um, uh, within a group of educators. But has there been someone in particular in your career that's provided that support or provided a leg up when you need it or just been that person to give you moral support or tips yeah. on teaching whenever you needed it? Uh, I, I think, I mean, I could probably name a lot, but what I'll do is mm. probably name the common trait they have and it's about um, that and it comes back to that idea of knowing when to challenge me and knowing when to support me. Um, yeah. I had, um, and I, she's still my professional mentor, my principal at St Mary's who employed me, who um, is a bit of a local legend in South Australian uh, education, certainly South Australian Catholic education. Um, and I, it's one of the reasons that I applied to work at that school was her leadership. And it's it's actually inspired me to, to um, you know, to, to want to be the principal that people want to work for in that sense. Mm. Um, so she had that right level of challenge and support when she knew when I needed, uh, she knew when I needed a bit of a, you know, kick up the rear end to say, oi, pull your socks up, just do this, and here's what you need to do. But she also knew um, when I needed, um, yeah, the support and the right level of support. And an example I have of that is um, I had um, – Oh, it, was a, it was a shocking experience on it. It was a Thursday, I remember. Um, something, a uh, decision that I made that didn't go down so well as a deputy principal and it, it caused a bit of chaos. Um, and I took it really hard and really personally. So yeah. you know, I had to work through a few things and got into my office the next day and she's bought a bottle of wine for me and the label is called Black Thursday. Um, oh, wow. And, and so not that I no, – I'm not a huge wine drinker, but um, oh, that that what bottle is sitting in my my office right now. Not that it's on public display, but um, it's in my cupboard. And I, I'm I'm really into mementos and reminders. Um, and so that was a real key example for me of um, the importance of acknowledging when you stuff up, knowing that it's going to be it's going to feel pretty crap. Um, you can't get away from that feeling, and you need to own that feeling. But also the importance of having something to say, look, it happened, let's move on, and giving yourself permission to own a mistake and move on. Mm. That's really lovely, and I'm yeah. glad that that wine has made it into your emergency <laughs> drawer just for other Black Thursdays. <laughs> and look, I, I think, Katie, when, if I look at um, when I, you know, part of the benefit of being a principal here is that I get to, uh, and we're a growing school, um, so I get to almost build my own leadership team, and I've got a brilliant leadership team. They're fantastic. Um, but as I look about, you know, people depart and people come on, I know that I need people around me who will give me the right level of challenge and support. So my my leadership team at the moment has that level and they're, they're just fantastic. They And it's taken me a while to understand that 
I actually want to be challenged in some of those decisions that I'm making. Not not to be, you know, not stand up yelling, that sort of stuff. But, you know, Corey, have you thought this through? Or have you thought through what about this means? Actually, no, that's really good. So I we have that in my team and it's 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 just an absolute blessing to have that as a leader. Mm. Fantastic. Mm. Well done. Big up the Thomas More leadership team. <laughs> Excellent job. <laughs> yeah. All right. In your job, whether it's being uh, a principal or whether it's being a classroom teacher, is there mm-hmm. anything that you wish you had more or less of? Uh, I, I would say as a principal, um, and this is going to sound really benign, but I would love to have um, fewer emails. Um, and what I mean by that, emails is the example, but I mean Fewer things that pull me in different directions, um, mm. but you know, by by definition, that's my job. So what what I'm trying to do at the moment, I mean, we were. If I was talking to you five years ago as the principal here, I would have said that we were a school of seven hundred and sixty-four. This year we're a school of nine hundred and sixty-two. Next year we're uh-huh. a school of a thousand and sixteen. Um, in three years' time, will be a school of 1,300. So we are, as a school for choice in the area, growing. And mm. what that means, and I, this is my mantra at the moment, um, I mean, I've been a principal for three years, so I don't, I don't have a lot of wisdom in this space, but I, I keep saying there's no blueprint for a growing school. And so part of it is, you know, looking at research, looking at what other schools have done, but also part of it is, is backing your gut. And my gut's telling me at the moment that, and also my research, it's good when they're saying the same thing, um, that you have to have people around you to take some of those roles and to work with you and to inform you and to challenge you along the way. So um, I'll say fewer emails, but I don't mean fewer responsibilities. I mean more diversified roles in that sense, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Obviously, being a principal is a crazy job. Um, yeah. I've never done it, but I've spoken to enough people in that in that role to uh, understand that um, it must be a real, for want of a better word, bit of a mind fuck, to be honest, <laughs> when, you're, when you're trying to do everything and a million other things and support a staff of however many, 100, yeah. 130, did you say? Yeah, 130 or so, crazy. yeah. 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 Oh, look, it, it is, yeah. Katie, but it's um, it's actually what I love and relish about my job that um, you do get to work in so many different dimensions. Um, I, I I can't imagine what it would be like to not work in a school. I mean, I, I worked in retail while I was studying for seven years, and um, you know, became a manager at a um, a supermarket, which was good fun. But I, apart from that, I've never done anything else. You know, I went to school, went yeah. to uni, went to you know, became a teacher, became a principal and leader. But and sometimes I look at my job and I go, my goodness, this is this is so far from those years seven and eight classrooms that I started in. Um, yeah. you know, twenty one years ago. But then I think, actually, this is why I'm here because I know I live, I breathe, I love education, I love working with students, I want to empower young people and our staff to, again, help students to be the best they can be, challenge and support them and help our staff. Um, so, you know, it's, it's what I love. And so that while the diversity challenges me, I also it also um, makes me thrive. And so for me, that, that sweet spot is trying to find ways that I can um, embrace that diversity without... Um, doing um, not doing more stuff. I don't want to sound lazy, but doing it smarter <laughs> and not harder. That that's a real key. Yeah, for me. yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, okay, uh, what's been your proudest moment in all of your twenty-one years teaching? Mm. 
So for me, it's pathways. It's not just the, the impressive nature of a pathway, but it's a pathway that the student wants to follow um, and sees them grow. Um, another example of that that's connected to it is when I was teaching at St. Mary's in Year 12 um, Religious Education, the, um, the core of the course was around something that we called ecological spirituality, which is understanding that as, you know, as young people in the world, we, they have a, a right and responsibility to take care of the earth, its people, and a sense of justice in that space. And we connected mm-hmm. it to our Catholic ethos. So it was just beautiful. And one of the most favourite things that I would do is that um, – my uh, my wife runs a uh, a charity called Puddle Jumpers, and she started that charity. Um, so she's the yeah. founder and the CEO. And um, Puddle Jumpers works with uh, started initially as an organisation um, to work with um, children who are without their birth parents. And so to facilitate that, uh, Melanie would take kids away on camps um, and just give them a holiday. And it was it's beautiful. Uh, it is just wow it's, it's poetry emotion. That has since diversified to um, food nights, to four-op shops, to a food hub, to um, food rescue. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing to see how it's grown. Um, anyway, w- my, one of my Year 12 RE assignments was to um, get Melanie and her team in and they would speak about uh, a very real project that is Puddle Jumpers and then my students would create a, not a fundraising program, but an awareness raising program for this real charity. And then we would use that as actually an advertising tool, right? So Fantastic. So you just, you, you know, so what I saw there was a, a connection to, you know, the, the core values of our school at the time and the core values of Catholic education and, in fact, education in general in terms of being the best we could be. Um, mm. Then I saw a connection to what I was teaching the students. And if you think about that mantra that I talked about before, that you will love my class and if you don't love it, I'll find a way for you to love it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Then I saw a connection to real-world issues where suddenly it wasn't about impressing the teacher. It was about impressing someone who, who started this company and then someone who was doing something for someone else. Um, but the ultimate for me is when those students would come back and volunteer at that charity. Um, so you, you can imagine as a teacher who wants to see his students be the best they can be and, you know, be the best they can be for society, to, to know that I helped them introduce that and then to know that they cared so much about it to um, progress and then to give up their own time um, for the following years. And there's still, you know, it's actually an email conversation I had with one of them today who is now 21, um, you know, she's about to complete a degree in uh, veterinary science or work, yeah. she's almost there, um, but she volunteered in a camp this year. Um, so it's just beautiful. That That is my absolute proudest moment when you can see those real life connections and I've had a part in that oh that's absolutely amazing I love that what a lovely story yeah really really nice yep okay the next one's a bit of a weird question but I'm gonna I'm gonna ask it and see see what you think yeah why not Uh, what what feels illegal but isn't in schools (laughs) or teaching um I I sort of hinted at it before, but I have a really um, nasty habit of ending up in school productions. Um, <laughs> and so brilliant. That, I don't know if it feels illegal, but it probably doesn't It doesn't feel great to have a well, – it probably doesn't look great to have a 42-year-old bloke up there singing and dancing <laughs> with kids. Stealing the limelight, uh, you mean. Yeah. But, yeah, but um, it is one of the absolute pleasures of my role 
And I think about where it started um, as a 22-year-old teacher, second-year teacher at St. Columba at my first school. Um, they did a production of Oliver and they just didn't have enough young men to fill the roles. Um, I, I used to be, oh. I can stress, used to be a fairly young-looking teacher. Um, <laughs> so I just said, yeah, what the heck, I'll do it. And, look, I, I didn't do drama. I didn't do music at school. I um you know, a bit of a karaoke bar frequenter, so I love <laughs> love that sort of stuff. Thought I could sing. Um, was in a few bands at university. Um, never had any music training at all, but I just put my hand up and did it, and absolutely fell in love with it. Um, so I did, and I, it was one of those things that you know you, you didn't know that it was a passion until I did it. Um, yeah. So we did. Um, I did Oliver, uh, Saint Columba, Oliver, Greece, um, a show called Back to the Eighties, and as a child of the Eighties, that was just awesome. Um, yeah. And the last one I did was uh, Beauty and the Beast. Um, ha- having said that, um, when I left St. Columba to go to Sacred Heart, one of the students that I had been in productions with, um, she did a, a subject here which is called uh, Music Special Study. And mm. uh, I'm not sure if it still exists actually because it was renewed under the SACE board. But um, one of the key uh, projects was to produce and to do something that involved musical production. And so right. her key assignment, her objective was to get me back from my previous school <laughs> and to perform in a show <laughs> that she put on. So I um wow. Yeah. So I went back and um performed in a show um at a school that I didn't work at anymore. Um yeah. So so that I mean that's great. And then I, I hadn't I hadn't done that for a while and so I think about um, Sacred Heart, Kill There. I wasn't in productions there. Um, I managed to sneak into a role at um, St. Mary's because they couldn't fill a role in the production of Annie. So I don't know if you know, <laughs> if you, I don't know if you know Annie very well. Um, I do. And I've got your principal's photo up in front of me. I've just, I'm looking oh, at, the, at your website now. So I'm just imagining this 40 <laughs> year old principal wearing an orange curly wig. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I wasn't, I wasn't there. I wasn't that good. No, I um I played Bert Healy, the radio announcer. Um, you know, the you you never fully dressed without a smile. That song, um, yeah. And so I played that in uh, the St Mary's production, which was just awesome. Um, and so this year it culminated with Thomas More College happening to also do Annie. Um, and so I reprised my role um, as Bert Healy. <laughs> wearing a gold jacket and a gold tie and singing um, in front of five shows this year um, of about 170 people each in a COVID-safe way, which was awesome. Amazing. <laughs> and just pushing pushing all the kids out of the way so you got the middle of the stage as well. <laughs> no, but it is, I mean, I, 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 I love it uh, and I get a lot of fun out of it, but what I also love about it is that um, it creates memories for students as well. And I, I probably I forget that because... Um, when I was doing rehearsals for it um, early this year, um, the three girls who played the Boylan sisters in that scene, they were really nervous with me. I'm like, girls, what are you doing? We're singing a song, blah, blah, blah. But then it hit me. This is their principal standing with them singing a song and thinking, they're probably thinking, what the hell is this guy doing? Um, <laughs> but I love now when I see those students, it's almost like a, a bit of a um, 
a secret society where you just sort of nod and, you know, yep, I saw you were in production, great. We, we spent four nights in this production together. Um, and so in, actually next week we've got a um, viewing on the green outside and Adelaide at the moment as I look out is 25 degrees in sunshine. It's just beautiful. Um, oh. So we are having a, a viewing of Annie next week and um, get to reconnect with that cast, which is great. Oh, wow. What a lovely story. Um, okay, so let's go on to something a little bit less positive, perhaps. But I think it's important to recognise that teachers are also human, and we also make mistakes. So in that vein, could you please tell us about your latest classroom cock up? Oh, I, I, I try as a principal to not make too many mistakes. If I do, I laugh them off. But um, so I probably don't have a latest one to tell you. But my most memorable one uh, would be um, I was a bit tired one day and you know it was a few students who were just they were just you know just being young people and just mucking around doing a few things and so a bit of a headache and I was scratching my head and I, I ended up doing a spoonerism where I combined two words and um, those two words were the traditional response of shh which you know you might often do when students are talking but then I asked mm-hmm. students to sit in their chairs so oh dear. Um, so in the middle of, and it's, it's one of those times where for some reason, just before I said it, the whole class was quiet. So I was like, yeah. come on, come on, come on. And then I said, guys, just, excuse my language, just shit in your chairs. And then <laughs> just, just for about two seconds, I was hoping that no one heard it. And then one of, <laughs> one of my loudest students said, oh, Mr. Bella said shit in the chairs, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, I just had to laugh because it was hilarious. Um, and so, yeah, I, that's, I often will say, unfortunately, will say stupid things, and that was probably one of the most stupid things that I've said. I love it. I love it. It's just perfect. Thank you for that. That's lovely. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> all right. Now, we always end the podcast with the same question to all of our guests, and that is if you were in charge for a day, if somebody phoned you up and said, Corey, you've just been voted the new Minister of Education, what is the first thing you would change? Mm. Uh, I would um, look for different measures of excellence and thriving um, for young people. Um, at the moment, we probably have one measure and it's called an ATAR and it's it's important to some people um, and it's important to some of our students and we'll celebrate that. Um, but something that we're particularly looking at at the moment is um, just celebrating the different strengths and different areas of excellence with our students. And um, it's actually funny you mentioned the Minister for Education because I was invited uh, four years ago now to do a trip to um, uh, Australian National University with some educational leaders across the country. And really just it was by ASA, uh, sorry, ACEL, um, Australian Council for Educational Leadership, and just um, almost take part in a um, a colloquium about where the future of education was going and um, mm. a previous education minister addressed us and look I have a you know it's a tough job being a politician it's a tough job being a leader um, I became a little bit frustrated where he had 30 minutes with us and spent 25 minutes talking to us and then asked for, for questions for five minutes um, and I, I think I asked him a question around. I was lucky enough to ask him a question. It was something around. Um, look, you, you, you're reviewing NAPLAN. You know, talking about back to basics as 
often is the, the go-to of what educational ministers will do, and that's fine. It's okay mm. to look at that one measure. NAPLAN results are very important because they do give you a sense of what's working in one area. Um, and we, we, you know, we, we are working with those along with other measures of success in our school. Um, but I said, look, is, is there a way that we can start to have this conversation about appreciating the importance of NAPLAN but also opening up the conversation around how else might we recognise educational excellence. And mm. he said, look, I've got a plan with that, Corey. I'm going to go around to um, different, um, you know, different uh, educational jurisdictions. I'm going to speak to the educational leaders of Australia. And I said, Minister, with respect, you've got a room full of educational leaders sitting right here. Yeah. So let's have the conversation now. And his response was, I'm really sorry, I've got to go. Um, and that you know, I, I, I'm not having a go at him because that, that's really challenging to hear a question like that from a leader. But I, I just think that's the honest conversation that we should have as as uh, politicians, as school leaders, as teachers, as uh, maybe students as well, um, to look at what the breadth of excellence looks like. Not to diminish NAPLAN or ATAR, to know they measure something and that something's important. And if it's you know if something's yeah. important, you measure it, you plan for it, you talk about the effect, you talk about the impact, you have the data. But what else is important in education? How else can we measure that? What other impacts can yeah. we look at? And what other data can we talk about to celebrate this breadth of excellence in our in our system? Yeah, absolutely. Super important. And I think that goes back to your um, your experiences in America as well, yeah. at that particular high school and the way they recognise excellence and progression in learning and yeah. Um, some of those practices and is there really a reason why we can't incorporate some of that in our pedagogy over here? Uh, and there's, okay, there's some academic research coming out of High Tech High, which itself is a, and it was a brilliant, beautiful place to go. I could spend hours talking about that as well. Yeah. One of the, a couple of things I learned from there is that learning is celebrated and on display and purposeful everywhere. So when I run a, went, a, went around and I spoke to students all the way from year three to year 12, when I asked them, why are you learning X? Why are you learning Y? They could tell me, this is why I'm doing yeah. it and this is what I'm doing and here's why. And I heard from, you know, not, not to pick on maths teachers, but I heard from a lot of maths teachers over there who would tell me, Corey, if, if our students ask us why we're we doing this and um, we can't tell them, we don't do it. Um, so the, the old school adage, certainly when I was a student of you're doing this because you might need it one day is out of the window. Yeah. And yeah. Our, our maths teachers at Thomas More have embraced that and they are working with it beautifully. So why are we doing it? What do you have to do? And probably the other thing I would say is that one of the things that we are leading at the moment, and I'd be happy to send you some more information, is that we have started to report um, on our students' progress with a learner profile. So um, right. we, we, our learner profile has grades, but it also has um, – uh, I mentioned those wellbeing values and learner behaviours. It also has graphs to show where our students are at with those learner values and, um, sorry, learner behaviours and wellbeing values. It also has data on, you know, absentees, on late arrivals, on, um, you know, different levels of engagement, on levels of learning intervention. Yeah. So when I have a discussion with a student and just two weeks ago we had um, something called our junior education transition interviews instead of a parent-teacher interview. So what happens yep. is the student comes in, they have their learner profile 
and they've constructed a presentation around their learner profile. So here's where I've been a connected learner. Here's where I've been driven. Here's where I need to improve um, my level of flexible thinking, for example. And here's the example of that in my assignment. So no longer is it a teacher saying, oh, you're on an A and you're on a B and you can do this, but it's a student saying, I reckon I'm here and I can do this because of this gap here. And if they don't know, mm. they ask the teacher, what do you think I could do? And the teacher says, well, here's some ideas to work on. So we are leading the state um, in that. Um, the SACE board here is working under a learner profile. Uh, Professor Martin Westwell, the head of the SACE board, is a brilliant leader. Um, he's aware of the work that we're doing and we've connected a few different professional occasions. Uh, we're also in a, a national project with Melbourne University on developing the learner profile and our next step which is evidencing those micro-credentials. So knowing that it, we're, as we're representing those achievements in our learner uh, values and wellbeing behaviours, um, how they can actually equate to a, um, a qualification that might get them into university or otherwise. Um, so it's wow. really powerful stuff. Yeah, that is really, really exciting. Yeah. And please do send me more information mm. about that. And I can't wait to see it. I'm definitely going to come and visit and Absolutely. have a rummage through all of your programs <laughs> <laughs> and have a little look for myself. Really, really exciting. And I yeah. really hope that that, uh, that catches on throughout the rest of Australia's schools. Very cool. Yeah. Um, Corey, you've been an absolute pleasure to have on the podcast. Thank you so, so much. It's um, it's times like this when I really miss having those incidental conversations about teaching and learning yeah. with other educators. So yeah. it's a real privilege for me to be able to do that. So thank you very much. My pleasure, Katie. Thanks for the opportunity. Wow, what a privilege it was there to chat to Corey and learn all about the delight of the staff wellbeing program down at Thomas More College. I'll definitely be heading down there, Corey, to sample that uh, and maybe even catch you in an orange curly wig in the next production of Annie. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Next time, I have got the most illustrious guest so far. I'm very excited, so I really hope to see you back then. Give us a like and a follow on Instagram and on Apple Podcasts, and I'll see you soon.